Well, last week we began to study this passage, and you'll remember that Jesus calls us to abide in Him, which means to stay close to Him, to pursue Him, to spend time with Him, to depend on Him, for apart from Him we can do nothing. That is a call not to live our lives in the strength of our might, but to stand alone in the strength of God's might. We talked last week about how we do that through prayer, through the Word, through being with other believers, and certainly as we look forward in two weeks uh, to the Lord's Supper. In order to convey this, Jesus uses a word picture, an allegory or a metaphor of a vineyard. Grape vines were everywhere in Jesus' day, and even as they had gathered together in the upper room, this is the night of Jesus' betrayal, there is wine, uh, there would have been a jug of wine uh, in front of them. They have just taken the Lord's Supper, Christ has just instituted it. So vines were everywhere because everyone's diet depended on wine, and in the Old Testament and in the New, the vineyard, or a vine, was a symbol for Israel. In verses 1 and 5, Jesus says that He is the true vine. In fact, He says, I am the true vine, which is a declaration of His divinity. He is saying that He is God. Uh, He also tells us that we are the branches, and God the Father is the vine dresser, with a specialized farmer whose job it was to constantly tend to the vine in order to make sure it produced the greatest number of grapes as possible. So It's a very rich metaphor, and there's so much there. And I didn't get to all of it last week because you wouldn't let me preach for two hours. So this morning, we're going to pick up and look at a different aspect of this text. Uh, And and it it is that there are these two kinds of branches. We learn this in verse 2. On the one hand, you have those branches which produce fruit, that is the grapes. And on the other hand, you have those that do not produce fruit, that do not produce grapes. Those which produce fruit are Christians. Those which do not produce fruit are not Christians. There is no middle category that Jesus provides. God the Father, who is the vine dresser, has two different plans for these two different kinds of branches. The first ones, which produce fruit, He prunes so that they might produce more fruit and thus glorify God and prove to be His disciples. Those which did not produce fruit, he cuts off, gathers, and throws them into the fire, indicating here eternal judgment in hell. It's a rather stark picture, isn't it? There aren't three kinds of branches. There are two. And certainly, as Jesus is hurtling towards the cross, which will happen in 15, 18-ish hours, this is a very stark imagery, and it is meant to be a warning. It is meant to be an encouragement to believers and a warning to those who are not believers. We have to remember the context that Judas has just left. Jesus started with 12 disciples that night, and he ends the night with 11. And in the midst of this, Jesus says, be the the branch that produces fruit, don't be the second kind. We might say the overarching central message of this text is it matters whether or not we produce fruit. What does that mean? What does it mean to produce fruit? 
It means to demonstrate with our actions, our words, our motives, our thoughts, a heart that has been made new by Jesus. We were talking about this with the youth group this morning, and uh, we came up with a terrible illustration. Uh, I did, not them. Uh, and it, it, so we have Nerf guns everywhere in my house. Everywhere, right? That's right. Nerf guns everywhere in my house. And some of those Nerf guns require batteries. And so if you have a Nerf gun without batteries, what does it do? Nothing. That's right. It doesn't shoot. John Luke, if you put batteries in those Nerf guns, what does it do? It shoots, right? That's right. So it's, it's not, um, it, the bullets that come out of this thing are not what makes it work or not. It is evidence if it is working. Does that make sense? This is what the Christian life is like. If we're a Nerf gun, that's a far stretch, isn't it? This is a great illustration. If we're a Nerf gun and we have batteries in our heart, right? If we have the Holy Spirit in us, if we've been united to Christ, then we're going to shoot, shoot Nerf bullets, right? It's going to come out the end when we pull the trigger just like with the vineyard. Uh, if we are believers, there will be fruit on the branches. Not equal fruit, some big, some small, some early in the harvest, some late in the harvest, but there will be fruit. It is a call for us to be fruitful. What does that look like? It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. The youth could do this this morning. They came up with all the fruit of the Spirit in order. Praise Jesus, right? Uh, the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It means that we become more and more like Christ. Why is this important? Well, uh, about eight years ago, we planted a Meyer lemon tree in our backyard. Uh, and uh, it stayed with us. For several years, um, the most amount of lemons we got, I think, was five off of it. And then one year it stopped producing. Now, we'd fertilized it, and I, I'm sure I did things wrong because I'm a terrible gardener. Uh, but we gave it another year. It didn't produce fruit. So we gave it another year this year. And you know what happened? No fruit. And so this time, instead of swerving with my lawnmower, what did I do? Man, it was so much fun. I was looking forward to it. <laughs> I did chop it down right with that club cadet, and we just, man, it was great. There were limbs going everywhere. Uh, I think it was about the time I had to change my blades. And, and so we cut it down because the Meyer lemon tree existed for one purpose, and that was to produce fruit for us to enjoy, and it no longer did. Therefore, it was worthless, and so we cut it up and took it to the street. That's the image here. We exist to bring God glory. What is the purpose? What is our purpose in life? Man's chief end or purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We learn in verse 8 that one of the primary ways we do this is by bearing fruit, that we would bear much fruit, therefore glorify God and prove to be Jesus' disciples. So it is important that we bear fruit. Now, the fruit is not what makes us a believer. It's not what makes us a Christian. Right? Rather, it is a distinguishing mark of being a believer. It's not the fruit that makes you a, a grapevine. It is the grapevine that produces the fruit. And so, when we are converted, when we abide in Christ, we produce fruit in our lives, and there's evidence. So that when the vineyard, excuse me, the vine dresser walks by, I say, oh yeah, that's a grapevine. How do you know it's a grapevine? Because it has grapes on it. Now, we have been created to bring God glory 
And one of the ways he has done this is he calls us to good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 is this great passage about being saved, not by our works, but by God's grace through faith. But verse 10 connects, connects uh, faith and works. Works and faith don't lead to salvation. Faith leads to salvation. Christ alone for salvation. But Christ alone in salvation leads to works. For we are His worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for fruit, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, fruit matters. So then Jesus gives us two kinds of branches here. We're going to deal with them out of order. So he first deals with the ones that don't produce fruit, but we're going to save that for last. The first kind that we're going to talk about is the, uh, the branch that produces fruit. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Who are these? These fruitful branches. Well, we've established these are Christians. Specifically, though, in the context of the upper room, these are those who have come into contact with the Lord Jesus, His gospel, and His people, have accepted Christ, and whose lives bear forth the testimony that they really uh, love and are united to Christ. Like a sap that flows from the trunk of the vine to a branch, so the vital union between Christ and His people actually does accomplish something. Well, what does the vine dresser do with them? Now, here's the thing. We might expect at this point to read that the vine dresser comes along and he finds the fruit and says, Hey, this is great. Give him an attaboy, right? And I'm going to leave you alone. That's not what it says. What does it say? Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. From an agricultural perspective, with, with a grapevine, there are different times and different... Um, uh, you, you prune not just once in a year. There are different prunings. It is a constant care, just like Wally with the, the bonsai plant. There's a, there's a constant tending to this thing. So you're clipping here and clipping there and, and, and you know, um, tying things up here for support. But the purpose of that, of the cutting is that it would produce more fruit and therefore produce as much wine as possible to go to the market because that's what it exists for. Just like we exist to bring God glory, therefore He is going to do things in our lives to cause us to be more fruitful and thereby glorify Him more. What does this mean for us? God desires not just that we bear fruit, but that we, desire, that we produce more fruit in verse 2, much fruit in verse 8, which comes from abiding with Christ in verse 5. In order to make that happen, He's going to prune us. Now here's the thing. The pruning process is painful. Anytime you take a knife to something, that's, that's going to involve some pain, isn't it? The purpose of His pruning is not because He doesn't like us. It's not that He doesn't love us. It is because He loves us and wants what is best for us that if we are believers in Christ, He is going to continue to mature us and to grow us spiritually, paring away, cutting off those unhealthy bits in our lives 
that we might bear more fruit. How does he do this? How does he prune? We're going to just highlight three this morning. Um, The first is through his word. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because the word that I have spoken to you. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about being saved. They have responded to the word, and here word refers to Jesus' teaching to his disciples and to the teaching about him in the Old Testament. Now that the the scriptures have been completed, we can say this is the whole uh, counsel of God. This is the whole word. Now, here's the thing. What's not clear in the English that is clear in the Greek, is there's a really fun play on words here. The word prune and clean have the same root. It's the same word family. And so he's saying, you have been cleansed. You have been cleansed. You've been cleansed uh, through the gospel. And now he's going to continue to prune us, to cleanse us more, not in salvation, but cleanse us in sanctification that He might wash away those bits that are ungodly, that He might cut away those things which are, which are hindering our growth, and that He would prune us that we might bring Him more glory. Um, he does this first by the Word. Have you ever read the Word of God and been cut to the quick? As you read a passage and it convicts you of sin... Or have you read the Word of God and you were encouraged and you came despondent to the Word and you leave empowered for good works, filled with the Holy Spirit? If you come and you can only see the problem and then you leave with being able to see that life really is going to be okay because your Father promises never to leave you or forsake you, that's pruning. That's God using His Word to prune in our lives. I love what the late Frank Barker said. He was the founding pastor of Briarwood about this. He said, the word was cleansing as Christ spoke this very discourse to the disciples. The design of this discourse was to change their thinking and attitudes about certain things. And and as he does this, he is enabling them to bear fruit. He changes their thinking about their own ability to do anything for God. As he says, without me, you can do nothing. So first, God uses the Word to prune us, to cut us back, to enable us to be more godly, to be conformed more and more into the image of His Son. First one is His Word. Second is providence. What is providence? That is the God, God's directing and using of all things in the world for His glory and the good of His people. This is how we make sense of passages like Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Pruning is for our good. Pruning hurts. Now, the good here, He does these things for our good. The, pruning, the good here is not financial security, uh, you know, five homes, and, um, and that new uh, bass boat you want, uh, and gun. Uh, now, those are all great things, and I hope you get them. That's not the good that's being talked about here. The good here is defined in verse 29 of Romans 8, which means being conformed more and more to the image of His Son. God is pruning us. He is cutting back, which is sometimes painful, that we might be conformed more and more like Jesus. We have some friends at the Baptist Church whose daughter, who's Lizzie's age, uh, recently broke her arm. It was a bad break. Bad break. 
and she had to have surgery, and they put some stuff in her arm, and a month later, they were supposed to go in and take the stuff out. When they went to get the stuff, uh, it turns out her arm had grown back incorrectly. So do you know what they had to do with that bone? They rebroke it, didn't they? Uh, I bet that hurt. She was asleep for it, but the, the, uh, the recovery was a lot worse from that surgery than the one they had planned. Why did they re-break her arm? Was it for her good or for her harm? It was for her good. And that's what Jesus does to us sometimes through providence, through trials. This is how we can come to texts like James chapter 1, which says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Really? Count it all joy? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Turns out that pruning can be painful, and sometimes it might feel like the Lord has cut away a little too much. The third, though, is discipline. So first the word, second, providence, third, discipline. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and be, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Sometimes the Lord has to discipline his children. And it's not because he doesn't love them, it's because he loves them. We'll be talking about that again in, in two weeks on Wednesday night, by the way. Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but that doesn't mean that the Father is going to let us wander in the streets. He will often bring hardship in our lives that, that we may be pruned and turn to Him. So, first branch is fruitful, is a believer. And what does the Father do? He prunes that we might bear more fruit. Can you look at times in your life and say, that sure hurt. But wow, praise God what came out of it. I know I can. The second kind of branch, though, is the unfruitful branch. We see this mentioned in verse 2. Who, who are these people? Well, it is those who are not Christians. We know that because Christians produce fruit. But it's actually more serious than that. It is those who have had some contact with Jesus and His people and yet have not been saved. Remember the context here? Of Judas. He had had close contact with the Lord, closer contact than most. And it turns out that he was an unfruitful branch. So, what does the vine dresser do? We get this in two verses. First, verse two every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Commentators tell me that, um, that, that grape vine wood is not useful for furniture because it's too brittle, for structures because it's too soft, or even for cooking with because it burns too quickly. And so when they are gathered... This is talking about the eternal fires of hell. There is a great warning here. There's a great warning here. We should examine ourselves in order to sure, ensure that there is godly fruit there, that we really are new creations in Christ and regenerate hearts that are being continually changed by the work of the Holy Spirit. So, 
How do we land this plane? In verses, excuse me, in the next 15 to 18 hours, Jesus would be hanging on a different kind of wood. A cross made of sturdy materials, which would hold the nails which pierced of the creator of the universe. The God who made all things. God's Son, fully God and fully man, held by three nails. But in reality, He was held there by His love for you and for me. That He would willingly suffer the pains of the whip. The blood pouring down from the thorns. That He would endure the cross and suffer all the more the crushing weight of His Father's wrath, which He did not deserve, but we did. That He might welcome sinners like you and me who need to be saved. That we would be saved and bear much fruit for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, that we would bear more fruit for you. That our lives would be continually changed. That you would transform us by your Holy Spirit from one degree of glory to the next. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We'll conclude our service. We will stand and sing 241, Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending. We'll, all, we'll sing all four verses. <laughs>